Brought to you by Modelo. Oh. Welcome back to Throwing Hands. As Danny and I will be previewing Fight Night, Covington versus Woodley, and probably the biggest non-pay-per-view card of the year. Daniel, how are you doing? I am doing great. I'm extremely excited for this card on Saturday night. And we're just going to dive right into it. First matchup of the main card, we have Kevin Holland. You know, he's coming off, I don't know, he's been off for about a few weeks, three weeks, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, a little more than a month. That shows how quick it's gone. And Darren Stewart coming off his first submission win, and he's got he's probably got some momentum after that. What are your thoughts on Darren Stewart? Uh, Darren Stewart, like you said, the dentist. This is a matchup of two of my favorite nicknames in the UFC. You've got Trailblazer Kevin Holland against the dentist Darren Stewart. And Stewart's a guy that's 29. So, honestly, I, I thought he was a little older than he is, but he's 29. He's 12 and 5. Uh, he choked out Maki Patolo. He's a guy that – uh, through most of his career, what we've thought about him is he's a guy that's going to try to punch your face off. Uh, but then he comes out against Maki Patolo in kind of his return to the UFC after uh, taking a fight in Cage Warriors in the UK earlier this year, comes out and chokes Maki Patolo out in the first round, earns a performance of the night bonus. Uh, Darren Stewart's a guy that is entering that prime of his career and is really starting to put things together. Uh, he was really mostly a knockout artist, a striking predominant fighter, but then he comes out, picks up a submission win. I think we're going to see him grow a lot this year. Yeah, I think we will too. And he, I mean, he's looking quite good. He has a Taekwondo black belt. So striking is very good. And he always just moves forward. He's very persistent with what he does. And Kevin Holland's a little different. He's, he's a little slower. He has decent ground game too. six submissions for his career, creative striking. And I, it, I can't remember who he, oh, he went, I can't remember whom he went up against last time. Joaquin Buckley. Imp, no, uh, Buckley, that guy from LFA. That's right. And, you know, he just put on a show. He, he doesn't look like he can hit hard, but if he knows where to hit you and he'll put you on your butt. What do you have to say about Kevin Holland? Dude, Kevin Holland is one of my MVPs of 2020 so far. Uh, he had that TKO win against Anthony Hernandez that was so impressive. Uh, he had the knockout against Joaquin Buckley that he just absolutely flattened him. Uh, he was supposed to fight Trevin Giles back in August. Of course, uh, Giles had that feigning incident where he wasn't able to fight that night. He fought Buckley a week later. Uh, Kevin Holland is a guy that was honestly probably off a lot of people's radars. He, he had won three in a row uh, through the middle of 2019, lost to Brendan Allen in one of his first big steps up in competition, uh, but then has come out and beat Anthony Hernandez and Joaquin Buckley in dominant fashion. So he's, he's a very talented striker. He's a second-degree black belt in Kung Fu, but he's also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt who's got six submission wins under his belt. He's 18 and 5. Uh, he's only 27 years old. Kevin Holland is a guy in this middleweight division that is going to be very dangerous moving forward. And if he ever wants to move up to welterweight, uh, or excuse me, if he ever wants to, to move up from the, from the middleweight division to light heavyweight, he's got the size to do it. He's six foot three, fighting at 185, and he's very slight of build. So – He's got power. I could see him fighting in multiple divisions and doing really well at it. I like Kevin Holland's prospects moving forward. Yeah, I do too. And I think the thing with Kevin Holland is he doesn't even cut weight. He came into his last fight against Buckley at 
183. So he's t- he says he walks around 187. So he doesn't really have to do much when it comes to cutting weight, if anything. So, you know, if he decides to move up to 205, you can put some muscle on that very uh, f- slim frame of his. So we're going to get on to the keys. I think the keys for uh, Darren Stewart is I think he has to get into the pocket with Kevin Holland. He can't just wait and throw his punches because Kevin Holland has a seven-inch reach advantage, if my math is correct. So I th- Darren Stewart just has to push forward and get into the pocket like he usually does. What do you have to say? Yeah, I agree. This needs Darren Stewart needs to fight this fight the way he wants to, which, as you said, is to get inside, turn this fight into a fight in a phone booth, uh, make Kevin Holland strike in close, don't let him hit – Uh, land big shots from distance that's going to be the biggest thing defensively for Darren Stewart is to keep Kevin Holland from just picking him apart uh, from distance with that seven inch reach advantage and you know we saw Darren Stewart get that submission win against Maki Patolo but he's got to keep this fight off the ground uh, because we've seen Kevin Holland obviously have these spectacular knockouts this year but he was really a submission guy for the large part of his initial uh, career and Darren Stewart doesn't have has actually great takedown defense at 63%. It's not elite, but he's still a very good defensive wrestler. So uh, I think he's got the keys to win this fight. It's just going to be a matter of getting inside Kevin Holland's guard and being able to lay into him from there. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a little bit of a transition to Kevin Holland. I think if Darren Stewart gets to the pocket a little too much, Kevin Holland can rely on his wrestling and his ground game. Because like you said, in the beginning of his career, he was a submission guy. But I think he, if he uses his length, picks his shots, and just stays away from Darren Stewart, you know, maybe, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to control the center of the octagon, but if he can just pick his shots and cut off Darren Stewart, I think this could be, this could fare very well for Kevin Holland. What do you have to say? Absolutely. Kevin Holland has every ability to win this fight. He's a much more well-rounded fighter uh, than what we've seen out of Darren Stewart in the past. That could be completely different after what we saw against uh, Maki Patolo in his last fight. But as it stands right now, Kevin Holland is a lot more well-rounded, and he's got a lot more ways to beat Darren Stewart than Darren Stewart has to beat him. All righty, to predictions. I'm taking Kevin Holland by uh, by knockout. I don't think Darren Stewart is – I mean, he's going to obviously hit Kevin Holland, but I think Kevin Holland's – you know, just the way he's grown, I think he can, you know, use his length, pick his, pick, pick his shots, and get the knockout. Who do you got? Kevin Holland by KO. All righty. To the next uh, matchup of the night, Mackenzie Dern, the fakest accent in the game, goes against uh, Ronda Marcos out of uh, Iran and Canada. What are your thoughts on Ronda Marcos? Uh, Ronda Marcos is 35 years old. She's fought 20 times. She's uh, pretty even as far as that goes at at 10, basically 10 and 8. She's coming off a loss to Amanda Hebus, and these are uh, two women that have recently lost to Amanda Hebus. it's been a really up-and-down career for Ronda Marcos. Uh, she's definitely uh, going to want to take this fight to the ground, force submission wins. She's never knocked anybody out, and she's got a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So the longer this fight goes, the more Ronda Marcos can wear Mackenzie Dern out. I think that's how we're going to see her have a chance to win this fight because she really is not much of a striker on the feet. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you there. I think she has to stretch this one out. I mean, we're getting the keys here. But, I mean, let's take a look at Marcos's resume. She has wins against Carlos Sparza and Angela Hill. So, she knows how to beat the best of them. And she's lost to Hebus, Claudia Gadela. I mean, she's lost and won against the best of them. So, she knows how to beat the best. And I think that's, what's, that's the scary part about her. Yes, she does have a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt. And she has decent takedown defense, and she has great transitions, and she's always aware of what's going on. So I think this could be a pretty tough task for Mackenzie Dern. And speaking of Dern, what are your thoughts on her? I love Mackenzie Dern as a fighter. She was so dominant 
in that last fight against uh, Hannah Cyphers. And yes, Hannah Cyphers did give a submission artist uh, in Mackenzie Dern her leg, but still, Dern set up that submission for the knee bar. She's an outstanding Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, comes in with a black belt in that in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, is the daughter of, of a former uh, decorated grappling competitor. She's of, of Brazilian descent, fluent in both English and Portuguese. She's honestly a pretty decent mix of the American and Brazilian styles of mixed martial arts. That's kind of a weird thing to say, but uh, that's, that's kind of what she brings to the table. She's a capable striker on the feet, but she's definitely looking to get the fight to the ground and tap whoever she's facing off without. I mean, I'm not going to add anything to that. I think you put it correctly. Uh, she uses her strike and take, set up some takedowns, but other than that, there's really not much to add. So on to Keith, I think for uh, Dern, it's, it's as simple as just get it to the ground and work, be patient. I, what do you have to add? I can't disagree with that. Mackenzie Dern is going to have a little bit of a stiffer challenge in Ronda Marcos because Marcos is an accomplished wrestler and does have that Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt. Uh, but Mackenzie Dern is one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, fighters in the world, regardless of male or female, in my opinion. She can ch uh, choke you out or tap you out from almost any angle, and she looks so good in that Hannah Cyphers fight. She's going to have the advantage when it goes to the ground. I think she's got to get it there. And we've already touched on the keys for Marcos. I think she should slow down the pace a little bit, try to make Mackenzie Dern somewhat predictable so she can see what she's going to do, and keep it standing, obviously, and uh, keep Dern on her toes. Be unpredictable. What do you have to say? Absolutely. Ronda Marcos has got to keep uh, Mackenzie Dern backing up. I would say don't give her the opportunity uh, to try to take her down. Uh, obviously, these are two women that are better when it goes to the ground. A decent takedown defense for Ronda Marcos at 53%, and then she struggles to take people down. Uh, so this is going to be a tough task for her. If she's able to cut off the cage and, and keep Dern at a distance, which is – not going to be easy because they have pretty much equal reaches. If she can keep Dern at a distance, maybe back this up against the cage and dirty and up from there, I could see her having a chance to win this. But she's put in a pretty rough position coming up against somebody that is going to outclass her in the main way that she fights. Yeah, and I think with Ronda Marcus, she can get up against the fence, maybe do some clinch work, keep, keep Mackenzie Dern standing. I think that would probably be your best bet. Just slow it down as in any way you can, honestly. All right, to predictions. I think uh, Mackenzie Dern's just going to slip in, get the submissions, get the sub pretty quick. What do you have to say? First round sub for Dern. All righty. To the next uh, bout of the evening, we have Johnny Walker, you know, a prospect who had a lot of hype behind him, but is on a little bit of a – going on the end of the hill. He's a uh, lost uh, – what would you say? I said a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. You know, he's lost two, three in a row. I, the, the number's not coming to my mind. Two in a row. Not looked good. Yeah, he hasn't looked good lately, especially with the hype that this guy had had. I mean, 6'6", six, six, I mean, he's the biggest guy in the division. And then we have Ryan Spann. I mean, he's had a little bit of momentum. Guy fresh um, – not fresh off the contender series, if I'm not he's, – he's off the contender series. So, he's, he's making a career for himself. So, speaking of Ryan Spann, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, Ryan Spann's an interesting guy. Four knockouts and 18 wins, but he's got 11 submissions. Uh, he's a guy that he's big. You talked about how big uh, Johnny Walker is, but Ryan Spann's six foot five and very well built in this in in this light heavyweight division. Uh, he's coming off. Let me count them: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight consecutive wins, uh, and the last four of those have come in the UFC. Uh, he's got, like I said, eleven submission wins, 
just knows how to choke people out. Guillotine chokes and rear naked chokes all over this guy's record, going back to his professional debut in 2013. So he's got that grappling in his game, but he's also a very big guy who packs a really heavy punch. So Ryan Spann, an interesting guy up and coming in this division. He's a big guy that can do it all. He's honestly a little bit reminiscent of what people were saying Johnny Walker was going to be when he was on his big winning streak, and he looked so impressive. So you never know what what we're going to take away from this fight. This is going to be really interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with anything you said about Ryan Spann. He has brutal ground and pound, and he's proficient on the ground, but he can get it done standing. If you saw what he did against uh, Sam Alvey, he spent most of the fight standing up, but he got him to the ground too, and he, he's always looking for the sub. So he's very uh, he's very slick when it comes to his submission game. And on to Johnny Walker. Um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt, constant pressure. He's also creative. He's not too explosive, but he can all of a sudden be explosive, so he's very unpredictable. And he, if he, he'll just shoot for that takedown really quick. What do you have to say about Johnny Walker? Not much to add to that. He's very athletic for his size. Uh, he knocks people out, and he can, he can tap people as well. He's got a couple submission wins. And like you said, he's got that background with the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, brown belt, I should say. So he's not going to be the fighter on the ground uh, that, that Ryan Spann is, but he's definitely a guy that can handle himself when it does go to the mat. But he's going to be looking for a knockout here. That's what his calling card has been his entire career. All righty. To some keys, I think the key for Ryan Spann is slow the fight down a little bit, get it to the ground, just work and be patient. I think he would be pretty uh, content if this went to a decision. Um, I know that, that's, what I, that's what I got. What do you have to say? I would agree. The longer this fight goes, the better a chance Ryan Spann's going to have to win. I think – He's a more well-rounded fighter when it comes to, to stamina and when it comes to being able to hold his own over a long period of time uh, than Johnny Walker is. I think that's where he's going to find his uh, his best chance to win this fight. I think if it does go to the ground, he's going to have a distinct advantage in that case. So I'm not sure exactly what we're going to get out of this fight because these are two very big, very athletic guys. and. I think if Ryan Spann takes this to the ground, he's going to outclass Johnny Walker. But if it stays on the feet uh, for any extended period of time, I, I think Johnny Walker is going to have the opportunity to just leave Ryan Spann laying with one shot. Yeah, and I think we might see Ryan Spann do some clinch work here like he did against Sam Alvey. You know, get Johnny Walker up against the fence. I mean, they're both very strong men. But I think when it comes to Ryan Spann, he's a little bit stronger. And I think if he just works along the fence, gets him to the ground, I think we could see Ryan Spann win this. But on the keys for Johnny Walker, I think he needs to be a little less predictable. And I think that's what's been his downfall a little bit. And I think when it comes to him, just be a little quicker. Just be a little quicker than Ryan Spann. He, he's a little more athletic. Doesn't keep Ryan Spann guessing. And I think Johnny Walker would get the win if he does that. What do you have to say? You hit the nail on the head, my friend. All righty. Predictions. Um, Give me Ryan Spann by decision. I think he'll just try to eat this one out, just slow it down. And, I mean, you don't have to sub or KO to win fights, and I think Ryan Spann will figure that out, and he'll get the win by decision. What do you have to say? You're a three for three on agreeing, my friend. Ryan Spann with the decision victory. All righty. All right. To uh, Hamzat Shemaev versus Gerald Mearshart. Hamzat Shemaev coming on to bursting onto the scene at Fight Island, getting two wins in two week, in ten days, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he only had like four strikes hit on him during that time when he was at Fight Island, so he's 
he's been very dominant these last two fights. And Gerald Mearshart, I mean, he had a lot of hype coming to the UFC, but his career hasn't exactly panned out the way he's wanted to, but he's still a very formidable guy. What do you have to say about Gerald Mearshart? Uh, you kind of nailed it right there with Mearshart. He's a guy that's fought twice already in 2020. Uh, so he's, he's one and one on the year. He also fought late in 2019. So he's definitely fresh. Uh, he's been around for a really long time. He's 32 years old. He's already fought 44 times as a professional. He's fought in three different weight classes. Uh, he's got a black belt in both bo- uh, Rufus Sport kickboxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, he's got a taekwondo background as well. Uh, he's a very well-rounded fighter. When it comes to finishing people in the octagon, it's definitely leading towards submissions with this guy, 23 subs in 31 wins. Uh, but he's got the ability uh, to put people down with strikes. He's a pretty efficient striker as well. So Mearshart is, I think, a really good test for a guy in uh, Shamayev that has burst onto the scene recently uh, as he is very well-rounded and a lot more experienced than the guys he's faced in his first two fights. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with you there. And Gerald Mearshaw, I mean, he Duke Rufus is his striking coach, so you know that he's going to be refined when he comes into the octagon. And he has great ground game, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and he has a very diverse sub game. If you look on his resume, he has a whole bunch of different chokes and uh, uh, subs. And he's very patient. He doesn't really want to rush too much. And on to uh, Shemaev, I mean, uh, wrestler, but this dude has heavy hands if you ever watch his highlights. He just uses wrestling and won that way. But I wouldn't be surprised he tries to keep this one on the feet a little bit because I think Gerald Mearshart does have the advantage on the ground. And he just grinds you out. He just he just wants to tire you out. What do you have to say about Shemaev? Shemaev is so impressive to me. Like you said, uh, he only took like three or four strikes in his first two fights in the UFC. And you you hate to take somebody this early in their career and compare them to one of the best fighters on earth. He's, it's almost like watching a, a bigger version of, of uh, Habib Nurmagomedov out there because he's so dominant in the way that he wrestles and he smothers people so much and he just doesn't give any kind of opportunity for his opponents to take control of the fight. He goes out early, he gains control of the octagon, he grinds people into dirt. And honestly, this is kind of a cliche to th- thing to say, but Kamzat Shemaev, his mentality in the octagon is that he will grind your bones into flour to make his bread. That's the kind of dominance that this guy has put on in his first couple of fights. It's been really impressive. And I, I don't have much more to add to that. He's, he's, I talked about that Kevin Holland is one of my MVPs of, the, of 2020 so far. Shemaev, if he comes away with a win here against such an experienced fighter as Gerald Mearshart, we're looking at a guy that's going to be around for a long time that's going to be able to put people away in a really <laughs> impressive form. Yeah, definitely. And so on to Keys, um, I think for Gerald Mearshart, I think, I think for both these guys, it depends on the pace they want to put. I think whoever controls the pace because they both like the ground. And I think if Gerald Mearshart just maintain, maintains top control, slows it down a little bit, I think he'll win this fight. Um, what do you have to say? The slower this fight goes, the more of an advantage Gerald Mearshart's going to have. And he's got to keep Shemaev uh, from getting into a position uh, to either take him down or get inside uh, on the feet early in this fight. 
because we're looking at a situation here where Mearshart does have a two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. He's going to have to take advantage of that to keep Shamayev away from him. And Mearshart, for a guy that is so well-versed in submission grappling, does not have great takedown defense at just 46%. So if Shamayev is able to just bull rush him at the beginning of this fight like we've seen him do in the past and get him down to the ground, that's going to be a big step backwards for Gerald Mearshart's chances to win this fight. I think if he can kind of hold off that initial flurry from Shamayev and keep this from going to the ground in the first minute, I think he's going to have a much better chance to win this fight. Yeah, I think I think I'll agree with you there. I think the first minute, two minutes really determines who's going to win this fight and the pace. And for Shamayev, step up the pace. I think it's really that simple. All right, to predictions. I'm going to take Mearshart by submission. I think Mearshart's experience is just so much greater than Shamayev's. He's seen probably a couple Shamayev's in his career or enough people that would combine to make one of him. So I think Mearshart slows the pace down, works it, and he gets this win by decision. What do you have to say? Shamayev, first round. Sub. Oh, oh. <laughs> Sub. Okay. All right. First time we've disagreed. All right. I love the five, man. I like him too, but I don't know. Did you did you watch the press conference today? I did not have the opportunity to. Uh, Shemaev, uh, he sounded pretty cocky. I mean, he has every reasons to with how he's been performing, but you know, I'm a little nervous if he if if he loses. I think this might hit him hard. All right. To the co-main event in the evening, a guy that doesn't need an introduction, Cowboy Cerrone versus Nico Price, an up-and-comer in this welterweight division. What are your thoughts on Nico Price? Uh, Nico Price is a very interesting guy. He's beat some guys that have a pretty strong track record, and he's lost to some guys with strong track records. He's got wins over Tim Means and James Vick, and then he's gotten stopped by TKO against Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal. And that last fight against Vicente Luque, that's the second time they've gone at it. And that was just an absolutely brutal fight to watch back in May. It was extremely entertaining, but those guys were just going at each other like nobody's ever seen before, it seemed like. He's 14-4. and four. Uh, He's got 10 wins by knockout. He's definitely going to try to knock you out. That's, that's the way he goes. But he's got a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. He can handle himself if it goes to the ground, but that's definitely not where he's going to try to win his fights. Do we need to talk about Cowboy? I mean... What What is there to talk about with this guy? I mean, I mean legend. Most wins, most yeah. finishes, most head kick knockouts. I think I summed it up. <laughs> I mean, he's absolutely uh, – even, even if you look at his record and he doesn't have a stellar record, he's absolutely one of the most iconic mixed martial arts fighters of all time. He's fought in multiple weight classes between light, lightweight and welterweight. Uh, he's got a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, black belt in guided jiu-jitsu, uh, can strike with the best of them. He's 37 years old, and he's still fighting at a high level. That's the thing. Yes, he's on a four-fight losing streak, but he's been pretty much competitive every time he's gone out his entire career, except that Conor McGregor fight. Uh, So is this the Donald Cerrone that we saw, you know, even two years ago when he was knocking off Ally Quinta and Mike Perry? Uh, No, but this is still one of the icons of mixed martial arts, one of the guys – that you look at if you're an MMA fan and say, this is one of the guys that has contributed the most to the sport of mixed martial arts over the last however many years that he's been fighting uh, since 2006, the last 14, almost 15 years. Beautifully said, Daniel. I don't mind even going to add anything to that. All right, I th- let's go head on to the keys. I think for Nico Price, it's, it's step up the pace a little bit. Cowboy's a little older. And I, I mean, Cowboy's seen everything. I'm sure he'll be perfectly conditioned for this. But if he steps up the pace and just, just tries to grit this one out, I think Nico Price gets the win. What do you have to say about Nico? I 
totally agree with everything you said. The pace of this fight is going to decide who wins it, and it's going to be early. That that pace is decided, I should say. Yeah, and for Cowboys, slow it down a little bit. Um, all right, predictions. You know what? I'm going to give Cowboy this win. I, I think – I'm not saying gets back on track here, but, you know, it's Cowboy. He know, he's probably seen a, millions of Nico prices in his life, and I think he'll figure a way to piece him, out, piece him up and get the win by knockout. What do you have to say? I'm going to go with Cowboy as well. I think Nico Price is a very promising guy, but I'm not sure he's quite at that level of somebody like uh, Donald Cowboy Stroni, even in his, his later stages of his career. All right. Uh, predictions. I think I got Cowboy by knockout. What do you have? I got him in a decision. I think this goes the full three. All right. Cool. All right. So to the main event of the evening, I've been waiting for this one. We have Colby Covington versus Tyron Woodley. Colby Covington, the former interim middle uh, welterweight champ, and Tyron Woodley, the former welterweight champ himself. And, I mean, Tyron Woodley, he didn't look too good against Gilbert Burns in that last fight. What do you have to say about Tyron Woodley? Tyron Woodley, again, was one of the best fighters on the planet for a really long time when he was the welterweight champion. He successfully defended it three times. And, uh, excuse me, four times. Successfully defended it, well, no, I should say he retained it four times. There was this draw with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in there. Uh, but successfully defended or retained his title four consecutive times before losing it to Kamara Usman uh, back in March of last year. But he's a guy that still can go, I think. He looked really bad against Gilbert Burns in his return fight uh, back in May, but he's a well-rounded fighter. He's got a college wrestling background. He's got power in his hands uh, with a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. American top team in Rufus Sport Training. This is a guy that has been at the pinnacle of the sport and still has every ability to stay there. It's just a matter – I think it's a little bit of a mental thing with Tyron Woodley because he looked a little hesitant getting into things with Gilbert Burns. But if Tyron Woodley is fighting like the chosen one Tyron Woodley was even you know a year and a half ago, he's as good as anybody in the welterweight division. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you there. I mean, he – he has very powerful hands. I mean, uh, seven KOs, five subs, but he can get it down on the ground too. He got his uh, black belt and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he's a deep former D1 wrestler, so he can get it done pretty much any way he wants. Unrefined, powerful striking, but he gets the job done. Tyron Woodley's a legend. All right, on to Colby Cummington, a, a controversial figure, but you gotta love the guy. He's he's one of the yeah. most. Ref- what do you have to say? You don't have to. Uh, he's kind of fun to watch. <laughs> When it comes to fighting, you have to like the guy. Outside the, uh, outside the Octagon, no. All right, so Colby Covington, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, Colby's a guy that we know what he's going to bring to the table. He's uh, got a college wrestling background uh, and then can strike as well. He's another Division One wrestler. Uh, he was actually with American Top Team up until this year and is now with MMA Masters, so that's going to be a change for him. Uh, he is a great wrestler. That's That's the thing. He's got five submission wins. Uh, he's going to take things to, to decision. In ha- he's taken things to decision, I should say, in over half of his career wins. So for a guy that is so exciting in the octagon, uh, he's not necessarily a big finisher. He's got five subs and two knockouts. Uh, but like I said, he's just a very talented fighter. He's well-rounded. Uh, he brings everything to the table that you want in a championship caliber, cal- or excuse me, a championship caliber fighter is what I should say. So you know what? warts and all Colby Covington is one of the best fighters on the planet, especially in the welterweight division. I think he's really a great fighter who brings a lot to the table. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to add anything to that. I think one thing – well, I will. One thing to uh, note about Colby Covington is his gas tank. He just doesn't run out of energy. If you saw that fight – if you saw that fight against Robbie Lawler, he just keeps going, and that's the scary part about him. I think that's going to be a problem for Tyron Woodley, which we'll get into right now. Keys for Colby Covington, step on the gas, I think. If he, if he conditioned correctly like he did against Robbie Lawler, Tyron Woodley's going to have a problem because Gilbert Burns stepped on the gas tank in that fight. I mean, stepped on the gas in that fight, rather. And he just destroyed Tyron, picked Tyron Woodley, picked him apart. And I think if Colby Covington gets into a situation when it goes to the ground, he has good defense. And I think if he just uses his striking, picks his shots, he wins this fight. What do you have to say? I totally agree with everything you put out there. Uh, if Colby takes control of this fight early, he's definitely going to win it. He's definitely going to take it home for my money. And Woodley, on the other hand, is, is going to have to keep that rush away. Uh, despite the fact that these are two guys that were really at the pinnacle of this welterweight division at similar times, they've never gone at it before. Uh, But this is a very anticipated fight. Both of these guys have wanted this fight. And whoever takes control early, I think, has the best chance to win it. Colby has such an ability to control fights over long periods of time. And it's because of that stamina and that endurance that he brings to the octagon. I think his ability to do that, if he can come out early, even if he can take Tyron Woodley down towards the beginning of this fight, I get that these are two of the best wrestlers in the UFC right now. But if Colby can take Tyron Woodley down, which is not going to be an easy task, as Woodley has 90% takedown defense on his career, that's ridiculous. But if Colby can get an early takedown or even just back it up against the cage, take take advantage to where Woodley uh, can't really come out of the gates firing and do really something similar to what Gilbert Burns did, he can, he'll have a great chance to win this fight, and especially the longer that it goes on. Yep, I'm not going to add anything else. To predictions, I'm going to take Kobe Covington by decision. I think he's going to get this decision uh, 50-44. I just think he's good. his gas tank is too good for Tyron Woodley, and he'll just keep going, uh, be, just beat him up consistently. It's, it's going to be like the Robbie Lawler fight. What do you have to say? We'll be Covington by decision. All righty. There we have it for the, the card portion of this. We got some news. Michael Chandler just got signed at the UFC. Uh, he will be the backup fighter for Habib Gaethje in the title fight. What are your thoughts on this one? That's something really interesting because if I'm remembering this correctly, we did that Greg Jones interview. And, you know, whether he knew what was coming for Michael Chandler or not, he said Michael Chandler is one of the guys to watch out for coming up through – Sanford MMA right now and just a couple weeks later uh, you look and Michael Chandler's getting picked up by the UFC and he's getting thrust into the spotlight in that lightweight division really quickly Uh, so this is a really exciting proposition for me I was a little bit worried because we've seen so many issues with Habib Nurmagomedov and and in his case for for good reason with his father passing and obviously him being in Russia during the the issues with the COVID-19 pandemic, I was a little worried that it didn't seem like there was a clear contingency plan if either Justin Gaethje or Khabib could not fight uh, when it comes around at UFC 254. But having such an outstanding fighter in Michael Chandler that's got so much helium behind him right now uh, coming out of Bellator, that's, uh, that's a really, really nice piece of news to hear today. Yeah, it is. And if you don't know who Michael Chandler is, he's an 11-time Bellator title fight uh, He's fought in belt now. Let me restate that. He's fought in Bellator title fights eleven separate times. So this dude knows what it, what to do when it comes to title fights, and he's just he's 
he's, it's going to be exciting to see where he fits in this division. He hasn't been in a title fight in a couple of years in Bellator, but I don't know. There's probably something hungry. Uh, he's probably hungry for something. So it's exciting to see what's up. Uh, do you have any other news? Nothing jumps off the page. That's obviously the biggest story uh, in, in mixed martial arts right now. Um, there's, there's some things uh, kind of coming together uh, as far as locations. Uh, UFC 253 uh, is going to be on Fight Island back in Abu Dhabi, as well as the next four cards after that. So that's, that's really exciting. That was obviously one of the most entertaining things we've seen in sports all summer, and they're going back now uh, coming up soon. Anthony Rumble Johnson is back in the USADA testing pool. Uh, UFC return is about six months away uh, as he currently uh, continues to go through that process. So no big stories, nothing that's going to really jump out uh, as something that's changing the game uh, like this Michael Chandler signing will. Uh, but a couple things to keep an eye on as far as location and a guy that has a really outstanding UFC track record uh, making an effort to get back in the octagon. And uh, another thing to note, Marais Sanhagen is coming up on October 10th, so that's a fight to look out for in this uh, featherweight, no, bantamweight division, if I'm not mistaken. So it's exciting to see how that division will turn out. And Dana White said that they do have an opponent for Tony Ferguson, but it hasn't been announced yet. So we are patiently awaiting that. Who do you think it is? As far as, wait, sorry, sorry, repeat the question, I'm sorry. Uh, Dana White found an opponent for Tony Ferguson. I think he said they have it set up. It just hasn't been announced yet. Yes, that's, a, that's an interesting question because it could be anyone, to be totally honest. Uh, Tony Ferguson, uh, we wanted him to fight Dustin Poirier. He's not going to fight Dustin Poirier. I don't know what Dana White's got up his sleeve because Tony Ferguson has nothing else to prove other than beating either Khabib Nurmagomedov or Justin Gaethje or really Dustin Poirier. Uh, but those guys are kind of on a similar playing field. When it comes to this lightweight division, he's not got much else to prove. So I don't know who you match him up against unless it's somebody from outside this division. Yeah, and I think they tried to set up uh, Poirier, uh, Michael Chandler, but Dustin Poirier just wants more money, and I don't blame him. He's he's had 23 fights in the UFC, if I'm not mistaken, and I think he deserves a pay rate. He's one of the most exciting guys there is when it comes to the UFC. So, I don't know, Dana pay him. And I want to see that uh, Ferguson Poirier fight myself. And when it comes to Tony Ferguson, the only person I can think of that's close to him is Dan Hook, uh, Dan Hooker, but he's coming off a loss. So we'll see where that goes. All right. Do you have anything else to add? Nothing, man. All righty. Well, this guard on Saturday. I am too. So we got two interviews coming up, guys. Uh, you'll you'll see them. So I'm not going to tell you, but they're pretty neat. Um, well, Daniel, thanks for coming back on. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely, Jacob. As as always. All right, and we'll see you guys next time.